And welcome to another edition of Aspen Answered. Today, we are thrilled to have Dr. Charlie Hardy with us, who served as president of ASP from 1992 to 1993 as its 7th president. He is the founding dean and professor of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. He recently stepped away from administration and returned to faculty at UNCW. And as a special note about Dr. Hardy, he also held several administrative here at Georgia Southern um, in the College of Health and Human Sciences, the College of Public Health, as well as the College of Graduate Studies. Dr. Hardy, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and, and your insight that we know you're going to be sharing with us today. Well, thank you. So maybe we can start off with just a quick 30-second kind of elevator pitch in terms of your bio about where you are now, and then we will follow up shortly with kind of how you got to, to where you're at. Yeah. Well, right now, um, I live with my wife, Becky, of 45 years in Curie Beach, North Carolina, along with our dog, Finnegan. We have two kids, Anna Catherine and Charles Jason. We call him CJ. Anna, along with her husband, Joe, reside in Florida, and CJ um, has just moved to New York City. Becky and I are so proud of both of them, as well as Joe, um, and the lives that they've created. Curie Beach is about 15 miles south of Wilmington. Uh, the welcome sign of our town, I think, says it best. Welcome to Curie Beach. The population is variable, the weather is variable, but the hospitality is constant. <laughs> we have a wonderful home three blocks from the ocean, and we like to say every day, we're living the dream. <laughs> it certainly sounds like oh, it. I love it. Well, Dr. Hardy, thank you again for being on here. In our podcast, what we're really looking for, what we hope to do is to better understand how the key figures in our field got to where they are today. So would you give us a bit of background on your pathway to where you are today? And in that, just include any kind of significant moments that may have formed your experience in sports psychology. Well, I started my professional uh, career in 1983 at the uh, ripe age of 27. Uh, I was a postdoctoral fellow under the guidance of my friend and mentor, Dr. John Silva, who was obviously the first president of, at that point, what was referred to as AAASP, Association for the Advancement of Applied Sports Psychology. I was fortunate enough to be appointed to the faculty in 1984 and spent 11 wonderful years at UNC Chapel Hill, um, advancing from uh, postdoctoral fellow to assistant professor to associate professor with tenure. In 1984, at the age of 38, I took a plunge to the dark side, as my colleagues would say, and accepted an invitation from a dear friend of mine, Fred Witt, who was dean at Georgia Southern University of the College of Health. Uh, and 
the health professions at that time. I was appointed department chair and professor of what has become known as the Department of Health and Kinesiology at Georgia Southern University. I held that position for seven years and I served as the associate dean of that college, the dean of Jackie and Averick College of Graduate Studies. And in 2005, I was appointed the founding dean of the Jinping Su College of Public Health. Following CEF accreditation for that School of Public Health, I returned to North Carolina as the founding dean of the College of Health and Human Services, a position, as you've heard, that I held until June of this last year. Currently, I'm on leave, uh, shall I say, sabbatical, um, before returning as a professor of public health at UNCW in the fall after 26 years of serving in university administration. So I sure hope I remember how to teach. Um, and I, I sure hope that uh, I can uh, provide something for the students, which will be uh, challenging and at the same time rewarding. That's awesome, Dr. Hardy. Thank you so much for giving us your path. I wonder, do you remember how you first came to be involved in sports psych? What sparked that interest that got you into the field and, and took you through that pathway? Do you remember what was the, the kind of spark that, that led you here? I was at the University of uh, Tennessee in Knoxville. I had just graduated um, from East Carolina University, uh, a home um, boy from Kinston, North Carolina, going to the school that was only 21 miles away. Um, and when I got to be a senior at East Carolina, Dr. Jimmy Grimsley said, you ought to think about going to uh, graduate school. And I grew up in what we call down east North Carolina, the son of a farming family. I had no earthly idea what graduate school was. I was just trying to be um, a first-generation college graduate um, because I knew that the future would require um, – kind of a secret potion, and for us, secret potion was education. And so the idea was that rather than <clears throat> become a farmer and stay in, in eastern North Carolina, education could open up doors. And so Dr. Grimsley, along with Dr. Ray Martinez at East Carolina University, said, yeah, we really think you ought to go to graduate school, but I want to give you one advice. And I'm so glad to hear that advice has been carried on um, and that you're heading to Indiana, if I heard that correctly. Um, he said, go to a different school for all of your degrees. He said, not only will you grow and develop as uh, a scholar or a scientist, you'll develop as a person. And so as a kid, um, I uh, used to listen to the football games on Saturday night on the radio and 
two of the schools I listened to were the University of Tennessee, which was played in the afternoon, and LSU, which was played at night. And so I set my sights on, I'm going to go to University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So I got there, and I'll never forget, I walk in this uh, welcome uh, event to all the graduate students, and everybody talked differently than I did. There were several accents that I had a little difficulty understanding. I'm sure they had difficulty understanding me. I was scared to death. I thought, oh, my God, I've come all this way, which really wasn't that far. I've come all this way from North Carolina to Tennessee, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it. These people sound smart. I'm sure they're smart, and I'm just – I. I'm going to be found out for the dumb farm boy uh, from the South that I was. Um, anyway, through great support from folks like Craig Risberg and Pat Bidel and, and many others, Ed Halley, et cetera, um, I was introduced to Don Franks there. And Don Franks taught a class and he had us read a book. Uh, by Dr. Robert Singer, Bob Singer. And it was, I think myths and something of sports psychology. Now, all these other books I was reading, statistics and all this other stuff, I had to read the chapter about 10 times to understand what I was reading. With this book, I finished it in about a couple of hours and it was the easiest reading I had ever. And I said, this must be it. This must be. And the reason why I say that is because all these people that I was talking about in that introductory meeting would go around and they would say, well, I'm here to be an exercise physiologist. Or I'm here to be an epidemiologist or I'm here. This is my specialty. And I didn't know what to say when they came around and said, well, what's your specialty? Um, and since I had just read that book, I said, well, my specialty is motor skill learning and sports psychology. So that's how I got into sports psychology, by reading the book written by Bob Singer, which was so insightful. And I, it was such a great book. And the material just jumped at me versus me jumping it in. Mm. And I felt like that's that's what I should do. That's what that's what I want to do. I love that story so much because I think sometimes we see people who are established in the field like you are, I mean, setting up where you were actually founding deans of multiple colleges and we sometimes forget that sometimes you need some help and guidance to figure out what you're going through. And I love that message for early people in the field that you don't have to know exactly what you're doing. You just need to find a place that really excites you and moves forward. I love that you shared that. Mm. That was good memories. It is interesting to hear. There's such um, diversity in answers to that type of question, I think, not just with past presidents, but for a lot of people in our profession, how did you get into that? And it's um, always, I think, fascinating to hear. Is it a particular person, a, an event, an experience, or something that kind of 
opens your eyes. Very rarely do I hear, a, I always have known this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, it's usually something very, very unique that, that gets us all kind of captivated by, by what we do. So you can imagine my excitement when we had started ASP and one of the individuals that I got the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with and and meet was Bob Seeger. <laughs> it, it was just like, oh my, this is, this is meant to be. <laughs> yeah, the debt of gratitude, I would imagine. Just oh my gosh. How well, and, and so, you know, as we think about ASP, you know, prior to your presidential service, so one of the things that happens, um, and you may already be aware of this, at um, sometimes the business meetings, sometimes like other sessions at ASP, they have, you know, the the big screens, you know, that will project the, the keynotes and, and everything. And while we're waiting for some of those to start, they'll flash pictures of some of those like charter members, you know, some of those founding uh, members of which you are one of those individuals that'll, that'll pop up on the screen. Um, some of those early ASP conferences, um, and our job, you know, in the audience is to figure out who, who are we looking at? Who is that from back in, you know, back in the, in the eighties. And so, um, so if we go back, if we can rewind the clock then, you know, back to that period of time prior to your, your time as president, um, how would you describe the field of, of sport and exercise psychology at that point? Um, how would you describe ASP? You know, at that point, um, obviously, a lot has happened in both areas um, prior to you running for president. And if there's anything that kind of sticks out to you um, that's particularly relevant or, or significant, again, prior to to your time as president, yeah, um, you know. I, it's really interesting to me as I prepared for this, I was 27 years old. I was just starting out. And I really didn't belong at these tables that I was finding myself at. I mean, I remember vividly in 19... 83 down in the lab at Chapel Hill where I was stationed in my office. John Silva on one afternoon came down and we we often we would meet in the lab and just have conversations about this project or that project. And John started talking about his vision of forming a new professional organization and you know i was just graduated i, I didn't know anything so i was listening and i would say well what about this and you know what do you think the reaction's going to be and da 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 and we started talking about names and we wrote things on the board and, and things like that. Um, and I think for me personally, uh, that, that invitation by John to, to be at that table and that never stopped and never has even to this day, we remain not in, <clears throat> uh, consistent contact, but we, we, we do contact each other at, at different times just to stay in touch. 
Um, that was amazing. And that, that experience taught me um, that if you have passion and you have a value-based belief system that drives your behavior, you can accomplish anything. Uh, I saw John go up against the leaders of the field um, and, and never waver. Um, and that was really impactful for a young assistant professor, 20 some years old. Um, I think the next thing is, is it not only just from the talk, we followed that up with uh, an executive board meeting out at Nag's Head. Bib Latney, who is a social psychologist and I had worked with quite a bit at Chapel Hill uh, after he'd come there from Ohio State. He had a place out in um, the Outer Banks, Nags Head, and used it as a conference center. And um, we were looking for a place to bring in this original executive board to, to think through it. And that's where we ended up. Uh, October 4th through the 6th was the most amazing experience of my life, sitting around the table with the likes of um, Bib and, and John, uh, Michael Sachs, Gene Williams, my all-time favorite, Bill Straub. Um, Kevin Burke was a, a student representative at, at the time. Um, Dan Kirsten, Ron Smith, these like icons of, of people. And, you know, we, we talked about everything from what types of, you know, organizational structure do we need to this organization to let's design the conference. What, what do we want the conference to be? And, and um, I know that and one of the questions that I was looking at on that is what, one, of the, one of your funniest moments. What, one of my funniest moments was when Bill Straub at the end of the table would go, John, what about a journal? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, Bill, you know, we're, we're, we're like, these uh, renegades and, and we're trying to figure out how to get this organization to function. That's great. And we're going to have a journal one day, but not now. And it, it got so funny because every meeting it was like, John, what about a journal? <laughs> so when we, when we would get a little punchy, it didn't. It didn't come from Bill anymore. It came from all of us. John, what about a journal? And interestingly enough, um, in in 1989, the first journal of applied sports psychology, the first issue, was in fact uh, published by Allen Press out in <clears throat> I think it was Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. Um, So I, I have all these memories of all this startup and daring to do things differently. Um, 
I mean, we had this idea of having kind of the, the three interest areas and then having keynote speakers come in and inviting people that might not have been um, mainstream, quote unquote, sports psychology at the time, like uh, Jim Blumenthal um, up at Duke University, We've done lots of great work on type A behavior. Bonnie Strick, who was at the time the president of American Psychological Association, because we always knew that there would have to be this blending of the sport and exercise sciences with the psychological and social sciences. Um, and then bringing people who uh, were like icons in the field, like Reiner Martins, Bruce Ogilvie, and it was just amazing. And so I think to answer your question, I'm trying to get back to that, is that we just had no limits to our thoughts and ideas. And again, me being a boy is an example of that. I, I really had no currency to be at the table other than I I was at Chapel Hill with John. We were colleagues, and he saw something in me that would be beneficial to the building of the organization. Um, and what I have seen the change is, it to me is mind-blowing when I log on to the website. It is mind-blowing that I'm here talking to you all. Um and the organization is, I believe, has come from, um, if you will, a splinter type group to the mainstream professional organization in the field. I think it's still struggling with um, scope, if you will, of not only the organization, but scope of the practice of sport psychology or exercise in sports psychology or performance, whatever it lands on. But I don't think that struggle is a bad thing. As academics, if we can't argue and, and debate, um, then, then something is wrong, in my opinion, because that's the beauty of uh, academia, having that ability to come together and see things differently, have freedom you know, of that to, to disagree, yet ultimately agree about the universe. So I'm, I'm, I am absolutely, in fact, my wife and I at breakfast this morning, um, because back in the day, she would come to the conferences and she would see me staying up at night working on some database that I didn't even know what I was doing to track the membership. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it seems to me ASP is grown up a little bit, not a little bit, a heck of a lot. And so there are structures in place. There are systems in place that are driving a very professional organization. Um, I haven't been that involved because my career shifted so I do hope that the, the spirited 
naivete is still alive in that um, the organization is willing to to go against the wind or fight for what it believes is right because we we really did back in the day. Charlie, I, I want to explore a little bit more of that beginning part. So we've heard some from some of the early presidents who were more established in the field. And so you being like a brand new assistant professor, what was that like jumping out and starting a new organization? Like you talk about it now, like you never had any doubts. And, and I don't know if that's the reality of it or just looking back, you kind of feel that way because things turned out the way they did. But what was it like being an assistant press professor starting out in your field, starting out in the career, breaking from a more established organization. What was that like? I absolutely loved it. Uh, <laughs> it was um, it was so in line with my value structure that it, it just felt right. Mm. Um, Never once did I worry or was fearful that this might be um, stupid. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just was so right. And I think what helped me through any of that tension was at the tables that I was asked to be at. Clearly, I was the junior member, but I never was treated that way. Um, I, I was there because people believed in me and they wanted to hear my opinion uh, and my perspective. And uh, it, it was wonderful. Um, and I, I probably, now that you ask that question and I think about it, that's probably just my MO. Um, it's in my DNA. Um, which I just found out is predominantly Scottish. So there you are. <laughs> I mean, it definitely mirrors your career track of starting new colleges, becoming wow. deans. I mean, that you it definitely says trailblazer if you look at your resume. So, so that aligns well. well. I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know that I've thought of that word before trailblazer, but that is something you said is it really makes it real for me now. I, I love building things. My dad was a farmer and mechanic and without much money, he just had to build stuff. Hmm. And my mom was probably the best housemaker, homemaker, cook. And without much money, she just had to be creative and, and, and do that kind of thing. And so as I've looked at my career recently and kind of some reflection I think my gifts are in the area of innovation, startups, building. I am terrible at maintaining. 
<laughs> I hate it. I, I can't stand My yard looks like it needs some attention and it does. <laughs> I love, I love building the yard though, the, and cutting down the trees and getting it all pretty and then planting new trees and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a very insightful comment. I, I believe that's who I am. Hmm. That, And so ASP was just like a perfect incubator or environment for me because it was new. I mean, we got, we got the biggest cake when this thing was published. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man, he's showing the newsletter with the AAA at P right now. We have to dis- we're going to have to describe this for our listeners, unfortunately. This they is can't the first it. newsletter, yeah. Bill Straw. We wow. when, when we, we got this in the mail, we didn't think. We knew we had made it. <laughs> yeah. not, that was that was the most unbelievable thing we had ever done. Um, so anyway, that yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. You know, the other thing that kind of stands out too, um, you know, in addition to what Eric pointed out is I've heard you mention kind of twice between Bob Singer's book and then, you know, sitting around that table and, and being a part of this, you know, um, really incredible group of individuals, it felt right. And in some ways, you know, as a trained scientist, um, you know, that sometimes we look for data and we look for, um, you know, evidence or something that tells us that we're moving in the right direction or that, you know, X, Y, or Z is working. But, um, I really appreciate the attention, I think, and the point, um, you know, given to just the idea that maybe there's not a way to quantify this, but I just knew it just felt like it, it felt right, you know, kind of going with your gut um, and, and trusting that. And it seems like it has led you and, and, and served you well um, early on and certainly like since that point, um, those early days of, of ASP and, and just the formulation of your career too. It, it felt right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the glaring examples of that for me was when we um, showed up at uh, Jekyll Island in 1986 for our first conference. And we didn't know how many, we didn't know what to expect. But when we got there, we, uh, Kelly Crace and I were working kind of the behind the scenes organizational structure of checking in and getting your t-shirt and all that stuff. We ran out of t-shirts and we, oh my God, this is great. (laughs) 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 Um, And just the, the, the dynamic tension that was at that meeting and that continued for numerous years, maybe even continues today. Um, but it wasn't a negative. It was a, it was this positive source of bringing people together um, around this concept of the psychological aspects of human movement, however we want to say it, there were a lot of people who wanted to be around that environment. And as you say, we 
we just said that doesn't exist right now. People are not getting their needs met by existing structures, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I think John saw. He said, there's, there's something missing here. I'm going to lead us into this space. Do you want to come with me, Charlie? Do you want to come with me, Gene? Do you want to come with me, Ron? And, um, and to see those people show up. And again, I go back to Bill Straub. I mean, he's, this guy, you know, he, he'd also written these books that I had read as students and, you know, Hey, Charlie, how are you? You know, it was like, (laughs) he knows my name, dude. I like this. (laughs) And Gene Williams. Oh, just what a, what a force that, person is and was she i have so much respect she would keep us at the table for hours about one thing until we got it right it was amazing it was a real pleasure to talk with her too and hear about her reflections at the same time yeah (laughs) absolutely so you're, you know, you're this young assistant professor, as you mentioned, you know, sitting at this table um, as part of the original executive board. And then I guess around what, 1991, were you asked to run for president or, you know, can you tell us a little bit about like what motivated you to, to, to run? Yeah. Um, I can't, I, I, I was trying to think about that process. There was always a nomination process. And so mm-hmm. I know that <clears throat> I had been nominated. And so at the discussion moved down the path as you've, you've been nominated. Would you, you know, accept that and pursue this? Um, and um, I, I think, that what motivated me to say yes and perhaps motivated others to nominate me is the observation that I was there at the beginning and I rolled up my sleeves and did whatever had to be done and probably had an understanding of the organization that might benefit it as the, the role of president. Um, I mean, in the beginning, I was actually what was called membership director. And my job was to develop a database. And, <clears throat> and, and even though it wasn't the most glamorous thing in the world to take people's money give them their membership <laughs> and deposit the money in the bank. I mean, so it was, it was, I don't, I wasn't trained to be an accountant or <laughs> a, a <laughs> membership director, um, but it didn't matter. I was, you know, and then I got excited because we went from, you know, 50 members to 100, 100 to 150, 100 to 200. Oh my God, man, we got 200 members. Um and and again, that was that was back in the day when the, you know, we we are just getting into computerization, and so and in the lab, we had these machines 
that were called uh, Apple um, Plus and Apple E. And, and we went, I, I convinced John that we needed to buy an Apple Macintosh. And, and all these are like dinosaurs now. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, we didn't, we didn't know things like spreadsheets and databases. And so we, we had to learn that. And anyway, so I think that's what motivated me to say, yeah. And, and, and I, I could see we had spent seven long years with really the focus being on what I refer to as management issues. We got this organization and, and we got to prop it up. We got to fertilize it. We got to water it, you know, and, and it was just all. And where's our next conference going to be? Da, da, da. And it was, it was a lot of focus on uh, management issues. And we never formed ASP. To, to be a management organization. We, we formed it to be a leadership organization to lead and, and be the voice, if you will, of the, of the field, things like accreditation were talked about day one. Um, I mean, the work that Ron uh, Smith put into accreditation and John himself, it, it, it's unfathomable how many hours they spent on, on those kind of things. So my thought was, okay, yeah, I've done, I've done the management stuff. I know how this organization works. Um, and it's working pretty good given that, you know, we all have day jobs. <laughs> this is not something we were doing for pay. Um, and um, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I can assume the, the, uh, the role of presidents uh, following uh, Mike Sachs, uh, who had been on the e-board. And um, maybe I could focus this on leadership issues. So that was what my uh, platform was, is that we need to not forget organizational management posture, but we need to embrace a leadership posture. And that involved the, the three A's, uh, advancing, um, this, uh, association. So it's a, it's a social world for us and the applied nature. And, and so we needed to, we needed to lead in those three A's so that sports psychology and this organization could prosper. Um, and the year went by so fast, I don't even remember. <laughs> I was going to say, Charlie, I love that that perspective that you have of like this infancy of an organization is kind of moving into like childhood and we want to branch it to what we wanted it to be. And so, like you said, that the, that year, especially when you, this isn't a full-time job, this is before you have a management agency. What do you feel like your main accomplishments during that year was? I know you said you had those platforms, but what do you think you accomplished during that year, which is so short and it's amazing anybody accomplished anything in that time, but what, what would you say you accomplished during that year? Well, it's kind of a blend of the management leadership. We had a one hell of a great conference. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really was one of our 
our our big uh, foci uh, of every year. We we really think that the the conference should be, um, you know, a, a a marquee event with the the best of the best, and we should also have it at a place that people would want to go. Um, you know, we were lucky in that uh, a younger organization. Um, can choose anywhere because we haven't been around <laughs> and, and you know the was it 30 some years now maybe almost uh it you know we, well we've been there well we've been there well in, in seven years we hadn't been there. six <laughs> places you know. you know i had some degrees of freedom that people don't have now yeah. or they can you know that kind of thing um i think we we tried to make sure that we maintained uh, listening to the membership. Um, you know, and, and this is so true in most organizations. You know, there's a period of time where everybody feels like um, we have open communication, listening, and then something happens with that. and maybe there's suspect of maybe the communication is not as open and you're not listening to the membership or the people. And so we tried to, we tried to, to be more open listening um, from that perspective. Um, we set in order um, a recommitment to some things that had kind of not dropped off the the list, but um, you know you only do so much. So uh, certification, you know, was was put back on, and committees were reorganized and re-energized. Hopefully, um, And I, I think that's probably all I got, guys. <laughs> well, that's a lot. I don't think you have to put it. I mean, like I said, that year, I can't imagine doing a full-time job without the benefit of email. I mean, I, we've talked to some people and said for conferences, you had to get all the abstracts mailed to you, and then you had to sort them, and then you had to mail them out to people, and then they had to mail them back. I mean, just the time that each of those steps takes eliminates time that you could be working on something else. Yeah, and I was also, that was interesting you bring that up because I was transitioning from Chapel Hill to Georgia Southern at that mm. time. Um, and so I was trying to move my family and deal with a new position and a position that was department chair. And um, so, yeah, lots of balls in the air. Yeah. Sounds like it. So this is one of our uh, our favorite parts of the podcast where and you did you were kind enough to share kind of a fun story, um, you know, from those early days on the the e board. Um, but we'd love to if you have any um, off the top of your head here, um, just hear a, a fun story from your time in the field um, thus far. Really, it could be about anything or anyone um, that when you kind of reflect on that is something that brings a, a smile to your 
to your face. We do offer bonus points if you involve other ASP members. Um, the points don't matter, so it's kind of like whose line is it anyway. We will award them, but they don't count for anything. But um, if you if you can drop a few ASP uh, member names in there, that, that counts for, for some extra points there. We uh, already told you the one about Bill Straw that sticks in my mind a lot. But I think, again, going back to the conferences, the conference was – was was such the um, point of focus for the year, and we we wanted to make it special. So we always and I don't know if this has continued or not, but we always had a banquet on Saturday night, and that was something we just looked forward to. And um, we had dancing and and all that kind of thing. And um, it used to be that we would have our conference right around Halloween. And so there were a couple of times that we put in the um, Saturday night uh, event, um, you know, come as your Halloween costume kind of thing. And so um, Kevin Burke um, had gone out and gotten himself a Batman costume. And it was one of the best. I mean, it was a real Batman costume. And um, sometimes we even had bands playing and all. But anyway... um, Kevin had decided that what he was going to do is come in character <laughs> and not talk to anybody but be Batman. And he was going to come down and have the dinner. And then there usually was a little break and then the festivities would start. And he would go back up to his room and then put on his Batman costume. And so while things were going on, he, he this particular evening, he came to the door and stood just like Batman. <laughs> People started going crazy. And the funniest part was Kevin uh, fancied himself as quite a Michael Jackson dancer. <laughs> and so he got all this group down and the spotlight put on him and he got out into the middle of the dance floor and he started doing all this moonwalking dancing in the Batman costume. People were on the floor laughing. (laughs) I don't know if Dr. Burke has continued that. (laughs) He did for a couple of years, but I was looking at that and thinking about it, and that brought back so much joy because I can recall looking out in the audience and seeing these legends in the field, uh, whether it be Bob Weinberg, Dan Gould, uh, Bonnie, uh, Dorothy Harris, whom Carol Oak, just flat out belly laughing. It was <laughs> So much fun. Um, and that brought just so much joy to everybody. Uh, so there you are. That's my oh. best 
That's great. I love it. I love how um, so much of the early years are so serious in what was setting a foundation. But the one thing that comes through in so many of these is everybody was there to have a good time when we were ready to have a good time as well. It wasn't serious all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, going back to that nags head executive board meeting, I kid you not. They were like 16 hour days. Oh man. But once that time frame stopped, we all let loose. It was a <laughs> it was a fun time. And it, it just every time we had a board meeting, it was we would work like Trojans. Um but uh, when we stopped working, people we got to know each other, enjoyed each other. We didn't have any money, so like when when we had board meetings, um, and they would come here to Chapel Chapel Hill, people would stay at John's house or my house and get to know each other. And and again, like you're saying, I was twenty some years old, and not even you know been in the field a year or so um and these folks like you know ron smith dan kirschenbaum mike Sachs, gene williams bill straub just just really decent human beings and i i I don't think i'll ever forget that the way they treated me um this new kid um was respectful um every sense of the way and they just cared about you and you, you started caring about them and it so it became more than a professional obligation it, it really became and i don't miss you know board meetings i don't miss planning the conference i don't miss any of the leadership stuff i miss the friendships and I, and I miss the fact that I have not stayed in contact with folks uh, like Bill Straub is best on now. Uh, Bruce Ogilvie. I mean, you know, the Bob Singer, I mean, Terry Orlick. I mean, these are, wow. Um, Bob Weinberg and I were so close that when he went to my Ohio from Northern, Northern Texas, Texas. Yeah. Right, North Texas. Yeah. And I went to Georgia Southern. And so because we knew each other, we were mass buddies, we, we did what was called home and home visits. He was a department chair there. I was a department chair at Georgia. And we would go to each other's place for a weekend and spend the whole weekend working through problems with each other. Oh, that's cool. It was amazing. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, and again, Bob, from a professional point of view, was, you know, a, an individual who's incredible. And he didn't see me in any other way than a friend and a colleague. And let's let's work together on things. And I'll never forget that. And I hope what I've tried to do is pass that along and pay back that to folks. That's awesome, Charlie. Thank you for sharing those. I love that. I want to shift gears a little bit more. And so I know you said you haven't been as involved in ASK, especially taking that administrative component, some of those aspects. But if you were to kind of think about the field as a whole, in what ways do you feel like it's evolved? And what are your thoughts on that evolution, both good and bad, about it? I 
I get the sense that it has broadened um, its scope. Um, again, this whole uh, discussion of um, going back to my experimental design and statistics. What, what is the uh, experimental unit or the unit of analysis? And clearly in the beginning, I can speak from my perspective, the unit of analysis was sport and then to some degree exercise. What I read and hear now is that in addition to exercise and sport, mm -hmm. we have this larger perspective called performance psychology that might be business, military, in addition to sport and exercise. Um, I also think that my observation of the journal titles and the titles of uh, presentations at the annual meeting, um, there's much more variability or variance which I think is positive. I think the biggest thing, though, um, and the thing that we use terms like sports psychology back in the day, um, but it was we using those terms. And so they weren't universal. My God, I'm watching Ted Lasso and they got a sports psychologist. <laughs> and it's, so I really love, and I'm going to use this terminology and it's probably not exactly precise and, and accurate. We've become mainstream. And, and that's important because we were not mainstream. And I think we have to be mainstream to be relevant. And so if the industry, we are applying our expertise in and skills, recognize us, hire us, then, then I think it goes beyond a flash in the pan. It becomes a profession. Um, and so that's what I see. Um, I see different paths to get to that journey in. And I think that's fine. Um, I don't, I hope there's never a, a one size fits all model, but that's just me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I, the, the problem I see with one size fits all is the lifeline on that is limited. Um, I think the health field is really demonstrating that now, and the professions that we thought were immune to any type of question or early death um, 
they're struggling right now. And so I, I hope, and in most those, there has been a one-way street or a one-way model. If you want to be a physician, this is the model. And, you know, I, I think time will tell that's, that's not, that's not going to work. We have to be more open, more comprehensive. And that's what I like about what I see in, in my use of the term sports psychology. Um, maybe it'll be something else down the road, but that's okay with me. So what does down the road kind of look like to you in terms of ASP? Um, and then just the direction of the field, where, where does it seem like we're going um, when you think about the, the movement and the trajectory of things? Well, you know, I think about the future a lot. I tend to be quantitative. And so I, I look at my own future and I take average life expectancy and I subtract my life now age and I got to get rid of it because I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting towards single digits. <laughs> uh, but I don't think sports psychology is anywhere near single digits. I'm, what it looks like to me is a lot of young people are excited and going in this field. Um, I would wager any institution that offers classes has a waiting list for those classes. So there's something there. Uh, and that something there is a consequence of the hard work of all you all and where we are moving this field. Um, I think Technology is something we have to continue to be aware. It's changing all of our lives. Uh, I mean, the fact that we're doing this, the way we're doing it. I didn't do this too long ago. I don't know about you all, but now this is just common. In fact, honestly, I prefer this. Um, I don't know that and this is a real tough one for me because I, a lot of the work that I did early in my uh, professional <clears throat> approach in science was in social support and social integration issues and the, the social world impacting you as an individual and vice versa. And, you know, we got to rethink. That, you know? I mean, this is a different medium and, there's different mediums and all the technology that can help. Um, I also think that we have a role in, in areas of um, concern. Um, one of the biggest areas of concern that I've seen over the last couple of years is uh, head injuries and traumatic head injuries. And, um, the consequences of individuals who have participated in collision and contact sports on their livelihoods, their well-being. 
So it's not perhaps maybe performance related, which I think is still a very strong aspect of the field. I think that aspect of your involvement in this performance balloon or exercise, sport, physical activity world, what consequences has that had to your mental health and your overall well-being? I think that's important. Um, I worry about universities. Um, my provost would always say to me in the last couple of months, are you sure you want to retire? And after a while, he understood my, my line was, it's time. And, and what I meant by that is that while there are some commonalities in 2023 and when I started back in 1983, um, there's also a lot of change and a lot of difference. And, you know, I, I think you have to know yourself well enough to understand um, the environment that you're in and what you can contribute to and what you can't. And so I think we have to really think about what is the future of academia because without, again, this is my bias, without a strong academic hub, um, any field is is going to have a different challenge than if you have a strong academic hub, which has students, learning going on, research going on, and service going on. You know, those are, to me, you know, the, the three elements of intellectual thought. And, and I think that's important for us to maintain. And I worry, um, I worry that this kind of stuff that I can just punch in. It was funny the other day, my wife said something about, well, um, you know, I don't know how to fix this dish. I said, well, let me Google it for you. Well, you know, come on, come on, Charlie. Um, so I, I worry about that. And, um, but I, I think that we have always um, been a field that has not been afraid to address challenges. And so I, I think that as long as we're honest, I think as long as we're caring for ourselves and each other and something outside of us, I think we're going to be fine. I really do. Uh, I am amazed at how many jobs there are in this area. Now, maybe I'm looking at different places than other people are. I, I get that. But I, I just think, wow, the future is just so bright. Um, anyway, that's me. Thanks, Charlie. 
Well, on that note, what advice do you have for students and new professionals entering into the field? Throw away your cell phone. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you have to not only know, but you have to embrace your passion. And to do that, you have to understand who you are. And, at, you know, and some would argue, and I'd be among those, my colleague Kelly Crace uh, has taught me well that that is a function of your values. So you have to understand what are your deep held beliefs? What are, the, what are the standards in which you evaluate yourself and others on? Um, and I, I got to be honest with you, I, I see a lot of our students now are doing that. They're a lot more grounded than I was at 18. So I'm, I'm one of the big fans of the whatever generation this is. <laughs> um, so I, but I do think you have, you have to plug in to this thing we call passion. What do I love? What can't I live without? What I, what do I want to do? And that to me is all based in your values. So I think that's the number one thing. Um, stay, stay in it. Um, whatever you choose, stay in it and, and be persistent. So find your passion, be, be persistent. And of course, get involved in ASP. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Charlie, um, what do you hope your impact on the field will be? Wow. Well, <clears throat> I think ASP provided me and others a place, a laboratory, um, where I could navigate my professional journey. Um, I will never forget the kindness of so many people. We've spoken, John Silva, Kelly Craze, Bob Singer, Bruce Ogilvie, Bonnie Berger, Dorothy Harris, Pat Beidle, Craig Risper, Jerry Thomas, Dick McGill, Dave Eucleson, Bob Weinberg, Dan Gould, Jack Rajeski. I mean, just I could go on. Just so many people. Um, it's such a wonderful field with wonderful people. 
um, sometimes I do think about what what I'd be thinking about this age uh, if I had traveled a different path. And, and then I remind myself that um, this was the path you traveled. And you've had a wonderful journey with wonderful company, um, mentors, colleagues, and friends. But I don't see a lot of those folks I mentioned or others, and some of them have passed on. Um, I think about them often, and I remain committed to sharing the kindness that they showed me so many years ago. My wife sometimes calls me crotchety. <laughs> and my fellow deans over the years would probably suggest that I'm ornery as hell. <laughs> I, I do hope that I demonstrate kindness because you never know, you never know what that other person is dealing with until you just sit down and say, you doing all right? Uh, how can I help? And um, so I hope at some level people will say, you know, he was a kind person. Um, he was authentic and he cared um, and I kind of liked him. Oh, what an outstanding message. Be kind, authentic, and just be yourself. I love that. Yeah. I can tell you, as I mentioned before we started, um, this afternoon that, uh, that's the message that still exists or the sentiment that still exists here in Statesboro and in, in, in our department, in our college. Uh, so you doing? You did something. Uh, you did something right for sure. Um, I'll, I'll never forget in that, that, that line. Um, Jack Stallings used to be the baseball coach there. Yeah. Oh yeah. We taught a class together in team dynamics, and, and Jack taught me so many things. There's so many things that he he just liked to give you these quotes, and like my. My wife will say, well, good luck on your interview today. And I say, luck ain't got nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> Jack taught me one day. He said, I was, I don't know, I was freaking out about something leadership-wise. And he said, coach, he said, I, I just need to tell you this. He says, there's three types of people in this organization. He said, there's the people that love you the people that hate you and the people <clears throat> that haven't quite decided. He said, that's your job. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, for all my years in administration, I would tell people that all the time. <laughs> anyway. And they, they named the stadium after him. So uh, clearly he was a, he was a wise <laughs> oh, he, as well. 
it was one of my great honors to co-teach with him. That is, that's what I didn't realize that. That is quite special. We, we, uh, we, call, we taught a course called Team Dynamics, and we had me, and that's where I had done the, most of my research, and Jack, who had done it at the yeah. level of baseball coaching, and the, the students loved it. He, they didn't love my part because I would do all the theories and all that. But then Jack would say, and he always called me coach. He said, well, what coach is trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> and he would go, all right, now we're getting the real world. <laughs> oh, he was so wonderful. Charlie, is there anything that, um, that you feel like would be really important or compelling that you wanted to share that we just didn't ask about this afternoon? I was going to ask you all, is there any questions that you have uh, beyond the uh, the interview guide? I'd be happy to ask those, or answer those or try to take a look at it. You have given us um, beyond, I think, uh, you know, we really never have any expectations, which is one of the wonderful things about, you know, having the privilege to do this. Um, and this has been one of the most um, insightful and just lovely um, conversations that they've had the privilege to like be a part of. So um, I can't imagine without uh, perhaps just starting a brand new podcast that just where you become either the the, the permanent um, you know interviewer. Uh, being a part of this with us um what an absolute it's just been such an absolute delight um and, and i just I, I don't think we can thank you enough for for taking the time just to um not even just share your journey and your experience um but just to uh you know to go back to what you shared before your kindness and kind of passing along um all that 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 you've learned, um, that you've helped create, um, and passing it along to what we hope are tens of, of hundreds or hundreds of thousands of listeners. I don't know if we're quite there yet. Um, that are, you know, listening to this, but, but even just to, um, uh, to us, you know, today, um, it's just been such a, such a treat. Um, it really has. So thank you so much. That is so wonderful to hear. I, you know, since I, went into administration. I, I didn't stay active or involved. Um, but the beauty of it is, is I had the opportunity to be a practicing sports psychologist every single day in the role of a dean. Uh, every, everything that I learned about team dynamics, motivation, et cetera, was so applicable to an, an academic college. Uh, so maybe I have been more involved in sports psychology over the years than I thought. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I, have to, I have to suspect so. I can't imagine better preparation for... Um, any type of leader than the field of sports psychology. It's, it's given me many, many tools um, in my toolbox to, to employ. And 
I just appreciate what you all are doing because I think one of the things that um, we need to hang on to is um, the stories because stories are artifacts and they're artifacts about a culture. And if we lose our stories, we lose our culture. And so I, I am, I am amazed that your number one, you came up with this project. It's just fantastic. And number two, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're doing it. I, I just, hopefully it'll be helpful. Um, Anyway. Charlie, we thank you so much for your time. I love your perspective. And I think there are messages that everyone who listens to this can really take home and, and hopefully use in their own life. So um, on, half, on behalf of the entire team, I want to say we've asked, Dr. Hardy has answered, and we will see you all next time.